Our scripture reading this morning on this resurrection day, I'm breaking uh, this today for this special day. Uh, We're currently in an ongoing series, a consecutive expository series in the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Seeing Jesus in the gospel of Luke is the subtitle. And uh, so uh, we would welcome you not only today that you're here, and we're glad that you're here, however you've come, and whether that's in live stream or whether it's here, uh, but we also would love to have you join us for this series. We're in chapter 10 now, but you can pick up, and uh, you can always, the good thing about it is get through a good book and just go back, start at one, and read through, and then you'll be caught up with us as uh, we go continue this series, and again, we'd love to welcome you back any and every time. Uh, now, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John. You see it there on the screen, and you can follow that or your Bibles or your device uh, as long as it's hopefully turned off, right? Uh, <laughs> so if it, is, if it is one of your devices, that happens to all of us from time to time. Um, our scripture reading now comes from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. And I remind you, That this is not the word of men, this is the word of the living God. So hear it with careful attention and appreciation. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The grass withers. And the flower fades, the word of the Lord will remain forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask now for your blessing upon this, your holy word that we have read. Will you give us understanding and facility and most of all, Father, faith to believe the truth of what you spoke 
and speak still. Father, we ask that your presence would be here with us, that you would lead us into all truth. For the glory and advancement of the kingdom of the Son you love, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's that time of year again. No, no, I'm not talking about the annual celebration that we call Easter so often. The resurrection. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about open season on all things that are Christian. Everywhere you turn, centuries ago, it was happening. It's been happening. It's been happening in our lifetime, and it's happening even right now. Whether it's ancient attacks by skeptics or more modern ones like Cameron, James Cameron and the lost tomb of Jesus. Some of you um, hopefully didn't actually uh, uh, read that unless you were trying to, to uh, get some humor or you were trying to, to get, understand what he was trying to say. But in that lost tomb of Jesus, he's trying to prove that Jesus was married and had a child. And that his remains are buried in some hillside ossuary in Jerusalem. But they all want to find a plausible explanation for an empty tomb. The empty tomb of Jesus. It was empty on the third day. A lot of people are trying to find a way for that not to be the case. You see, these alternative explanations, like all of the others before them, down through the centuries, they fail because the tomb is empty still. Empty still. That's obviously the title of the message this morning. But here's the real question. Why? Why? Why do so many people want to put Jesus back in the grave? Why do they need him to stay dead? They need him to stay dead. Why must they find his tomb with him in it? They're always looking. They're always searching. But it's empty still. You see, people have been ignoring the evidence for a very, very long time. Even though the historical evidence for the resurrection of Christ is substantial. It's not a weak, flimsy case. There's a, um, a Christian apologist by the name of uh, William Lane Craig. And he, this is not a quote from him, but it's him summarizing another individual, a mathematician by the name of Van Dahlen. Uh, and this is what he said. 
Van Dalen said, it is extremely difficult to object to the empty tomb on historical grounds. Rooted, firm, history. Those who deny it do so on the basis of theological or philosophical assumptions. You understand what he's saying? He's saying it's not because of absolute incontrovertible fact. They, they don't have that. What they are, they are trying to say they, that the tomb is empty, or they've been trying to find the evidence of the tomb because they have theological convictions or they have philosophical interests. And they are letting those things lead them to their conclusion that the grave was stole, body was stolen, or somebody else came and got it, or somehow he got away and, and made his way to India, and whatever other nonsense that is put out there. Van Dalen is saying it's not because they got, there's good hard evidence. They have an axe to grind philosophically and theologically. That's their religion to find that Jesus is not there. Or no, I'm sorry, that he is there. They want to find some evidence some way. Again, like say in, in uh, uh, what's his name, Cameron's idea that it somehow he's in a, in a bone box, an ossuary, a box full of bones, that maybe those are the bones of Jesus. They've got to have some way to not have an empty tomb. Now, what I'd like to do uh, today here primarily is give you some encouragement about the reality of the resurrection and the strong case that can be made, unlike these weak cases that we so often see and have seen down through the ages. I want you to permit me to give you some of the evidences that attest to why the tomb was and still is today empty. These are attestations. And, and so we'll just use the A, A for att to be the short way of saying attestations. That's a long word. So we'll just use an, we'll just use an A. I'm going to give you 10 A's. Now, all these are not, you know, uh, straight from, from me. They're, these I have picked up over the years, here, there, and whatever, but trying to just put them all together and, uh, and help, us, help us really kind of get a, the cascading power of all of these things that we know and are true as believers, and yet maybe even sometimes we get a little bit, well, is, is our case really strong here? Yeah, not, that, that would seem like a big hammer somebody was using on that point. Is, it, is, is, there really, is there really some strong evidence here? So let's go through these 10, these 10 attestations that provide some of the evidence. It's not all, but this is some. First A is accurate predictions. Now, what do I mean by that? Do you know that both the Old and the New Testaments both contain predictions of Jesus' death and resurrection? Not just the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was foretold. 
And do you know how many times, numerous times, and it may have been more that aren't recorded in the Gospels in the New Testament, but there were numerous times in the Gospels that Jesus told his disciples and the Jewish authorities, not just his own disciples, but also the Jewish authorities that he would rise from life after three days in the ground. He told them, and he told them, and he told them again, at least three times, probably more. So there were, these predictions were long ago foretold in the Old and New Testament. And Jesus himself said he would be put in the grave, but he would rise again. Secondly, a testing miracle, number two. Jesus' resurrection was not a sudden miraculous conclusion to an otherwise remarkable life. In other words, this is not like, oh, something out of the ordinary that just popped up on the grid uh, suddenly. No. For three years, he had been proving all of these things. What kind of man he was. A man that could walk on water, who could heal the sick and raise even the dead. He did that on more than one occasion. He had powerful miracles that attested this was no ordinary man. This was, as the centurion would say, the Son of God. Attestation number three, agonizing death. Now think about it for a moment. Jesus had numerous, numerous opportunities to avoid a fatal confrontation either with the Jewish leadership or with the Romans. He could have dodged those bullets many, many times, and yet he seemingly just kept burying straight on right into the teeth of that machine that would ultimately just kill him. You see, no one going through goes through a Roman scourging and a crucifixion, horrible death of crucifixion for something that's a hoax. That just makes no sense. I'm going to go do this. I know it's a hoax. I know it's not real, but I'm going to go and get myself mutilated and experience one of the worst deaths that any one on the planet can experience. Four, number four, point A, number four, angry authorities. After word of Jesus' resurrection began to spread, the Jewish authorities wanted to put a stop to it. So they didn't want people believing because it was popping up everywhere. People were beginning to see Jesus. They had a problem on their hands and they knew it. So if they knew that and they didn't have a body, it was empty, what would they do about it? Well, if they really did have the body and they just stashed it away, or if they had it, why didn't they produce it? Would have been the quickest way to, that's it, done with that. Hey, remember that you say, oh, you say your Savior rose from the dead? Hey, come over here. See this? See this body? Recognize it? Yeah, that's your, that's your Messiah right there. Case closed. Case closed. 
But they couldn't do it. They couldn't find the body. They still can't. Number five, absent body. <laughs> kind of a follow-on to that. The chief priests set a guard around, the, around Jesus' tomb to what? Make sure that the body was not stolen by those terribly frightening uh, disciples. They could probably any minute come crashing through the guards and find Jesus and take him away. Of course they knew that wasn't the case, but they were still making sure. So they got a car detail to make sure nobody could steal the body. But once they regained their senses, excuse me, those guards knew in that detachment of guards, Roman guards, they knew their lives would be at stake if they failed to do their duty. But on the third day, Jesus was gone. <laughs> Habeas corpus. They have, no, they have no body. And once they regained their senses, the guards reported it to who? Pilate? Nope. The chief priests and told them what they saw and what happened. The angels and all of those things. Why did they take that risk? Because they knew there was nobody there to recover. There was no point in going. They, they knew the body had come out of the grave. They, know, they knew this was not some kind of a, a search and hunt. Because they knew that, there was no body to recover. Number six, amazed disciples. I don't know what you, reading the, the, uh, the Gospels, you get an impression that these guys were getting really nervous when Jesus started heading south for Jerusalem, started getting more close and close, and they got more and more scared. And as things got really hairy, they really got scared, and they started running for the hills. And yet, after Jesus' arrest, most of his disciples, as I said, fled. And it's clear from their reaction that they weren't waiting around, anticipating, you know, any minute now, Jesus is going to come walking through that door again. Let's just wait for him. Let's just get, get comfortable because we know he's coming through. Do you think they believe that? Of course not. They're not crazy. That's impossible. Their Messiah's dead. They know it. They're sure of it. They've seen it. They've heard the stories. Some have seen it in person. So, it's clear that their reaction was not one of anticipating some kind of a, of a resurrection. Remember the collapse, collapsed grave clothes in our reading? But interestingly, even after that, on the road to Emmaus, the story showed they were not part of some kind of hoax. Where were they going? They were basically saying, well, we thought we had the right guy, but he's, he's dead now, so we don't know what we're going to do. Let's, let's just keep walking this way. They weren't expecting something like a resurrection to happen. And yet, they were walking right with the very one who was resurrected. That's an incredible irony. Seven, agreeing eyewitnesses. Do you know how hard that is? 
Have you ever seen, seen a, 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 a bad court trial and you get these, all these supposed eyewitnesses up there and, and, and so many times they end up contradicting one another, they end up messing the whole thing up because they can't keep a story straight. And yet Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Now, you know what you got if you've got 500 people that can tell the same story over and over again, and it can be written down and can be shared with others, and it doesn't change? Do you know what you got? You got a good case if you're a lawyer. If you've got 500 witnesses, you don't end up with mass hallucinations. Like some people tried to say, well, those, those disciples had some hallucinations and that's what they thought. You don't do that with 500 people that are telling the story straight. You don't have mass hallucinations. You might have one here and there, but you don't have, and certainly not that many. Number eight, apostolic martyrs. People don't, as I said earlier, Another, another iteration of that. People don't die for something that they know is a flat-out lie. They might die for something they really believe in, for the sake of someone out of love, but not when they know this is all a charade. It's a, it's, it's a pure, unmitigated hoax. Yet many of these eyewitnesses accepted death rather than deny the resurrection of Jesus. All over the place and down through 2,000 years, people are still doing it. And some of them are still giving up their lives now because they still are saying, yes, kill me, but I will still tell you he is alive. He is risen. Number nine, agnostic historians. Agnostic means not believers. These are not people that, that want this to be true. If anything, they probably would be inclined to think this is just crazy. But there are certain things they can't, if they're good historians, they can't deny. Contemporary and non-Christian, contemporary non-Christian historians reported that Jesus was reputed to have been risen from the dead. Like Tacitus or Josephus. These are historians that are saying, look, it's common. This is not just some little, little click over here or some little crazy um, cave-dwelling bunch that are, that are coming up with these uh, stories. They're saying it is everywhere, historical, that this Jesus was seen walking around. People say that he rose from the dead. They said it was reputed. Now, they may not have believed that, but they were put it in the history. It's, it's, a, it's a fact. There are multiple, multiple people that are saying this happened. They might have not actually believe that themselves, but they put it in the history. 
Number 10, a testing spirit. This one's the one that catches all. You see, over the centuries, the Holy Spirit continues to convict unbelievers and assure believers that Christ is the risen Son of God. It's been happening from the first day when he came out of that tomb. It's happening still. And if we live to be another here another thousand years, he, it will still be true. It will still because it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that attests to this. You see, we don't have to believe, brothers and sisters, in the resurrection in spite of the facts. Instead, we believe in the resurrection in light of the facts. We believe in it in light. There is substantial, significant evidence for Christ's resurrection from the dead. All the other alternatives through the ages for 2,000 years have been tried and they have been found wanting. They still can't answer where, why is the, is the tomb empty? Where's the body? You see, if the resurrection isn't true, here's the really bottom line for all of us. Even if you're right now doubting whether it's true or you're not sure, you, think, you maybe think, well, could it be possible? But wherever you are. The resurrection, if it's not true, then why bother with any and everything else? Why are you even here listening to me in person or in live stream? Why are, you, why are you wasting your time? Because if he's not risen, if it's still not empty, if it's, not, if it's still not empty, then you and I are just kidding ourselves. Everything else matters not. You're being religious. You're being, being a good person. None of that matters. Remember Paul said that? He said, look, if what I'm telling you about Christ being risen, if it's not true, you're a bunch of idiots. If you go and act like it's true or go tell people that it's true or go build a church to say this, that it's true and here's where. No, he said, we are the most pathetic, sick people on the planet. The pagans are, are got a much better idea of, of life if Jesus didn't get up and walk out of that grave. But if he is resurrected, as he said he would, then everything changes. And all those other things then do matter. And they all, but, so, let's be honest. Though all of this is true, there is great substantial evidence. But, though it's all true, don't we sometimes wonder why Jesus didn't put it beyond doubt for everyone? I mean, 
Wouldn't it, wouldn't that, wouldn't, couldn't he have done us that favor? Just put it on, out, make it so obvious no one anywhere on the planet could ever doubt that Jesus rose from the dead, as he said. Why didn't he go on a post-resurrection main street parade in Jerusalem and then go on and take it on tour all throughout the Roman Empire until everybody had to fall down and recognize this is the Son of God. We will follow you. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he play an even stronger hand? It's a pretty strong hand. The evidence that's there. But why didn't he just make it a closed, shut situation? Well, I think you know why. It seems that God was very comfortable leaving the claims of Jesus with much credible evidence, but not so much that no one could ever doubt. A lot of evidence. But there was always still a way to doubt. Not so much that you could not ever doubt. That's because what? We are told we walk by what? Faith, not sight. Everybody else wants to be Thomas. Until I... Faith is what God is looking for. He always has from the beginning. Remember Jesus, after raising Lazarus, his last words were what? Do you believe this? A lot of evidence. But he's still saying, do you believe? Do you believe who I am? Do you believe I can take you there? You see, even the disciples had their doubts. But after sitting Setting them aside, John wrote those words in our text. And then he also, at the end of his book, wrote this. John 20, 30 through 31. Jesus did many other miracles Oh, excuse me. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. There's a lot more evidence that was out there. All of it wasn't recorded. A lot was, but not all of it. And therefore, John knew. John knew that, well, you know, there's, there's a lot, but there's still not, there's still not a complete claim. He wasn't expecting to be, because in verse 31, listen, but these are written, the things that I put in this book, it's, a, it's more than enough. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you have life in his name. It's not sight faith. Not unfounded faith. Credible, but ultimately you still must believe. Do you believe? You see, this Easter, we who believe, those of you who do believe, he is the Son of God risen with power. 
and that he has taken away your sins and has prepared a place even now for you when the time comes. This Easter, we who believe embrace the risen Christ and discover life and hope because a dead man got up and walked out of his grave 2,000 years ago. And he promises that we will too. That we will follow him. After all, it's empty still. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we bless your name that it's empty still. They're not going to 500 years from now find some box with bones in it and it be the bones of your son. Father, we thank you that he is risen. Our lion and our lamb. Father, again, Lord, let the joy of that which cannot be severed because of Christ and what he has done. Lord, let us live in light and in faith, but a faith that is well-appointed and sound and true because you gave us your word. Help us have the courage to live and follow you. And we thank you that it is empty still until the day that we are with him together. And we pray this all and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, please rise now for our hymn of...